and thank you very much for listening in to another episode of Code with Kingy, where for today's show, I'm joined by my good friend Matthew Tort, where we previewed the opening round of Super Rugby Aotearoa. Now, the podcast starts off with just a general overview of what we think is to come this weekend, before then delving into some of the talking points for each of the teams that are featuring, those being the Highlanders, Chiefs, Blues and Hurricanes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm absolutely pumped to have footy back and I cannot wait to be parked up on my couch with a beer in hand to enjoy the first show set for a kickoff at 7.05. But for the time being, I thought I'd give you guys some insight into what two self-proclaimed footy experts are thinking is going to happen this weekend before we then catch up on Sunday evening to discuss whether or not our predictions stood true. So hopefully you guys enjoy the yarn. Farno. Uh, have a great weekend. Hopefully we get some cracking footy and I will be back with you on Monday to break down how it all unfolded. We'll crack into this. Um, thank you very much for, for tuning in with me to discuss, or I guess sort of preview the first round of Super Rugby Aotearoa. I don't know about you, bro, like I've been itching to be back playing, but even more so to, you know, watch the, the big boys do what they do best. So, yeah, I'm, it's, it's going to be a hectic weekend all up. Mate, yeah, no, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me back. Good to know that uh, I wasn't so shit in the first one that uh, you, I couldn't be brought back. So <laughs> that's a positive. But yeah, the, mate, Super Rugby Four. It's been it's been kind of rough watching the NRL the past few weeks because you know you're thinking like, oh, you know, this this could be <laughs> this could be a bit of union. As as nice as it has been to have a little bit of live sport, um, I think these last couple of weeks of just watching NRL has reminded me why you know union is my preferred code and uh yeah i'm bloody excited mm-hmm. this is touch on that first bit bro like um we did get pretty good ratings um off our <laughs> episode bro so so yeah man the sponsors got... came chasing you you got email after email joe yeah. rogan spotify deal coming yeah bro i had a few in the junk melee that i had sort of sift through <laughs> but um yeah that's neither here nor there but um i guess first things first bro um i guess the first sort of talking point i want to bring up is the crowds uh because I guess initially when this sort of Super Rugby thing, New Zealand-wise, was launched or, I guess, announced, it was sort of under the premise that we weren't going to have crowds just because of where COVID was at within the country. But now, um, moving into Level 1, we've got unlimited spectators and the Blues are already looking at Packed House as well as the Highlanders. So that's 35,000 for Eden Park and 20,000 down at Forsyth. Honestly, I wish there was a game at the Cake Team because, you know, I just want to go and watch rugby. Like, it's sort of funny, like, um, I mean, we were mentioning sort of town and stuff before, but I think, you know, having this competition back and I guess the timeliness of it all, I guess it's all sort of worked out well that, you know, it's just going to make for a a better atmosphere because, like you sort of said with the league, like, um, as cool as sort of the the stuff they did with, you know, the fan cutouts and um, I guess the fake fan noise, nothing really replicates um, sort of the, the atmosphere that you sort of see at a test match. And I think it's probably going to be similar with these games coming up, eh? Yeah, honestly, I think, you know, everyone's itching to get out of the house and get get back to normal, I guess. Like, get some sense of, um, I don't know, normality in their lives. And, yeah, rugby is the perfect opportunity for that in New Zealand, obviously. I mean, super rugby, especially in New Zealand, isn't known for its crowds by any means. But, you know, now that it's, 
New Zealand derby after New Zealand derby. Um, I think that's that's a huge draw card. And then yeah, as you're saying, like the just just from home, watching it with the fake crowd noise, the NRL anyway, it just doesn't quite feel right. Like they they never have booze in there. Any you know, there's there's no hostiles or anything. It's all either like cheering or or just kind of weird little sounds coming. So it'll be good to get an actual um, like you know proper human environment um, into the the viewing experience. So that's that's going to be pretty exciting. And let alone the uh, the zoo. It sounds like that's uh, pretty close to sold out already. Four of the five thousand already sold. Apparently, so that'll be uh, another good spectacle that we can uh, look forward to on on Saturday. Yeah, and I mean, like I guess for places like Eden Park uh, and Sky Stadium, um, yeah, the Caketon, I guess it's sort of been so long, sort of between the finals sort of series that they've had, sort of decent crowds turn up to I guess round robin games because I know that we're not going to have finals this time round. It's sort of like that Premier League format where all the teams play everyone twice and it's just the the top of the table. But hopefully, you know. It, it injects a bit of cash to sort of help out um, a lot of the teams because I know that a lot of them were struggling um, and had to let go of some of their staff, which has sort of been, I guess, the grim side of this whole COVID-19 thing in terms of, you know, people losing jobs and sort of businesses going under. So, and I think, I mean, I've never played in front of a, a packed house. I think the most I've ever played in front of is maybe like a couple hundred people, at that, you know, at a, at a local <laughs> Down at Fraser Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at a, at a local club rugby game, bro. Um, but yeah, like I think players get up for it, you know, when they when they've got a good crowd around them. So you know, hopefully that all adds to sort of the the spectacle that everyone's hoping for. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you probably wouldn't be a human if you didn't get amped a little bit from uh, the the cheering or the booing from you know whether you're you're home and away. No, that'll be um, yeah, it'll just be such a good aspect. And and as you touched on, like the money is just so important as well. Um, obviously, New Zealand rugby is going through a bit of a tough time at the moment, and, and obviously, and the franchises as well. So, um, it's it's huge to be able to give them an opportunity to recover some of the the lost funds that they um, yeah, inevitably would have gone down the drain over COVID. And um, yeah, hopefully, this um, helps get everything back on track. It, it looks like it's going to be pretty much back to rugby as we know it. So that's um, yeah, about excited as it can get. Yeah, man, let's get it rolling. Um, and I guess. As cool as it's going to be, or as exciting as it's going to be to have sort of New Zealand derbies week in, week out, one of the sort of, um, I guess, the touching points that a lot of coaches have sort of brought up is the fact that they're going to have to sort of go through rests and have sort of extended squads to sort of cope with, I guess, the the battering and um, the damage that, you know, the New Zealand teams do to each other because everyone gets up for a local derby, but, you know, it's not like you sort of get a rest week and, you know, I not to take any slight at sort of the teams like the Rebels, but you know, like I know that a lot of teams sort of time, you know, injecting some of the younger guys in to sort of give the older guys a rest and you know give them some um, some of the younger guys experience at the super level. But you know, now it's almost going to be survival of the fittest and you know depth. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these player rotations work out. I mean, we've already seen that there are going to be a couple of guys unavailable for the first week, some of the big names. But I guess you know, what are sort of your thoughts with uh, how teams are going to handle sort of looking after their players and because it is such a short turnaround, you know, I mean, guys are arriving in on game day and then flying out straight after the game. So there's really sort of no rest. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely something that'll be just keep an eye on. Um, I suppose the um, uncertainty on the test calendar this year might give All Blacks players a bit more of a motivation to, to play Super Rugby week in, week out. Um, also, I think just the 
straight up importance of each game as well. Like obviously being a you know home and away format rather than you know you play uh play New Zealand teams twice and then a handful of Aussies and a handful of South Africans. Every every game in this schedule is just so important now because you know, there's only only eight games and top of the table wins. So you're yeah, there's there's that much more importance in each game and there's no real easy games either. Like the Highlanders are, are clearly the weakest squad. But even then you wouldn't want to put out a half strength team against the Highlanders because at the end of the day they are still good enough to to beat pretty much any team on here, I think, if if one team fields a, a B B string squad. So I don't think there's gonna be huge room for flexibility, but obviously injuries do happen and um you know coaches will want to try different players and different links and stuff so we will see a little bit of rotation but nowhere near as much as what we saw in the regular competition I don't think yeah I mean it is going to be like you said in terms of what's happening with the All Blacks I'm you know just for me I'm just sort of thinking out loud you know if we're going to have I know I guess you're Bowden Barrett's playing what is it nine nine games yeah eight, eight, eight or nine I can't, yeah, eight can't or nine remember games? yeah sorry I'm, I'm pretty poor with math I should have done this beforehand but <laughs> me too don't worry <laughs> but you know like that's a lot of games and you're pretty much it's pretty much playing almost like a in a test match arena um because of how strong like you said I mean the Highlands like you said are the weakest New Zealand team but you know they've still got all blacks in their squads and you know these New Zealand boys get up when they're playing for a lot of them their mates because you know that's how sort of close circles New Zealand rugby is so mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you know, of course, I still want to be an All Black, and I've still got aspirations. You know, everyone can dream, but you know, like, <laughs> I can't even imagine, you know, what these players are uh, sort of getting themselves into. I guess with you know having to, you know, run into Artie one week, and then the next week you're running into Scott Barrett, and then you're running into Patrick Tuipolotu. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. there, there really is no rest there. No, like, yeah, it'll, it'll be brutal, and you know, everyone's going to be knackered by the end of the. The ten weeks or whatever, which um, again I suppose pulls up the question of the uh, the test calendar as to how how that's going to play out. I think there's a currently a month break between the end of Super Rugby and the start of the Ten Cup, so I suppose that's a little bit of a breather. But even then, like you know, Ten Cup teams will want their pre seasons in there and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it certainly looks like there'll be uh, no rest for the wicked for the Super Rugby teams this year. But um, yeah, plenty of good right for us and, and the, the fans won't be complaining with that definitely not my man and then one of the other things to sort of come from this is the I guess the the trial of some new rules uh, one being the the red card uh, which I'm sort of uh, still sort of trying to wrap my head around so the rule in effect is that if a player gets red carded uh, that player can then be substituted even though he's already out of the game or a coach can then bring on a player twenty minutes after that player has been recarded. So, what what are your thoughts of that? For me personally, though, I think that you know if you commit an offence that's worthy of a red card, your team must be punished because you know you it mm-hmm. it takes a lot to be recarded. You know, like and I know there's been a lot of talk about the tackle height, um, but players should know by now and they should be practicing it because they are professionals. They're training every single day. That you know, aim lower. Like, I, I know you want to put yeah. in a big hit every now and then, but, you know, if the risk of it is getting recarded, it's just not worth it. And I guess, I get where, I guess, the New Zealand Rugby Union is coming from because if a red card sort of occurs early, it sort of can really throw a game away in that, you know, a team's got a one-man advantage for 60-odd minutes. But 
again, you know, that's the game we play. You know, if you do something dumb, you, know, you should be penalised for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still yet to really make a decision on it. I think I like it. The, the main, I suppose, example um, that springs to my mind was Sonny Bill, and that I think it was the second Lions test a few years ago that you know effectively. I don't want to say ruined the game, but almost like handed the Lions that, that second test. And then even more recently, Tyrell Lomax, he got recarded when the Canes played the Blues towards the end of the Super Rugby season that we just had and started 2020. So um, that was another one where it kind of you know, swung the game in the Blues' favour. So it'll be interesting to see how you know how that 20-minute absence versus the rest of the game absence uh, affects everything. But yeah, I... I'll, I'll say I'm a fan of it for now, but yeah, it's really hard to to assess before we kind of see it in action. Yeah, it's like like I said before, like in order to sort of earn yourself a red card, you really had to sort of put yourself in a, in a or put you know somebody else in a dangerous position. And you know, like yep. I think players sort of know. I mean, you, I mean, you get the ones where like Sunny Bill, but you know, you, you're putting yourself in danger when you're sort of leading with the shoulder. It's sort of around that chest height because I know players duck um, instinctively and guys sort of can't pull out because, you know, they're already going a million miles an hour to sort of win the contact area. But I guess, yeah, like I said, for me, I mean, it's just, it's just my opinion. I just think that, you know, if if you're going to tackle high or, you know, you're, you're picking someone up past the horizontal or, you know, if you throw a punch, you know, and it's worthy of a red card, you know, you're only yourself to blame. And I think that, yeah, I. Yeah, I, I, yeah. If, if you commit a red card offence, you know, like you're the one that's put your your team in that position, and your team should suffer for it. For sure. Yeah, like like twenty minutes, is with a man down is is pretty hefty of a punishment anyway, and then that that player is also likely going to get suspended for you know, three weeks or you know for whatever the offence is, they'll get suspended accordingly. Um. But yeah, I think you know, there, there certainly are cases when you, you'd want to see a team, a man down for the rest of the game if, if the offence was that bad. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time, the, the red cards that we've seen lately have kind of been ones that, I wouldn't say are dubious, but, you know, we haven't, haven't really seen any like out and out red cards where someone's just, you know, clearly gone for someone's head or it's like, you know, stomped on someone at the bottom of a ruck or anything like that. Like, you very rarely see them. So... I think um, for ones like this where it's like, you know, shoulder contact with the head, things like that that are like kind of unavoidable in some situations, but, you know, it's just the positioning of the tackler or whatever. I think for situations like that, that's where I'll like the 20-minute rule. But if there are people coming out and just being idiots, being reckless and getting, you know, violent or something like that, I think that's when, when the rule will become stupid, I suppose. Yeah, I guess that's the grey area, right? Like how... Because a red card's a red card, and you know, a referee can't be like, you know, that's the the reddish red card, or you know, that's <laughs> yeah. just a red card. You know, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. if, if someone goes and smacks someone, you know, because the other guy was getting cheeky for whatever reason, and he knocks him out, I mean, that's a red card. But then if a, a guy goes and hit highs a guy and leads with his shoulder and hits the head, it's a red card. But both guys, um, I guess, get punished the same way in the game. Yeah, and I guess that's sort of the grey area. Well, it's one of the grey areas for me in that you can't really distinguish between the two because you know, like if you start sort of trying to divide up the red card in terms of the severity, it gets real complex. So, 
Exactly. We yeah. don't need any uh, any more rules in our game. I don't think no. it's, it's confusing enough where it stands. Not at all. Um, but the other rule that they've thrown into the mix is the golden point extra time rule. Now, I am a fan of that. I've, I had a chat with my old man about it, and I've chatted to some of the other boys. And some of them are for it, and some of them are against it. In my old man's case, he's not for playing extra time because he believes that, you know, a game of rugby is 80 minutes, and it's only played to 80 minutes. And that at the end of that 80 minutes, it, the score is tied, then the game is a draw. Whereas for me, I feel like there should always be a winner in a game. That's just me personally. Like, I guess that's sort of why I'm sort of so attracted to uh, the NBA because, you know, they've always got to find a winner. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess going into a game, like if you go into it, I'd rather sort of like, because draws are so yuck. Like I'd rather just either go out and have the opportunity to win it or lose it and know that, you know, I didn't do enough to win the game. Like, I don't like having sort of that murky area where it's like, okay, I didn't really lose, but I didn't win at the same time. So hopefully, I mean, we might still get draws because it's only 10 minutes of extra time. So teams could still play, not score the points and still get the draw. But at least this way, it sort of adds like a an exciting sort of finish, you know, some sort of exciting climax. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know it's it's another fan focused rule that they're they're adding, isn't it? Like the red red card player one. I, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to the fans, and and golden point does as well. Who knows what the players think about the golden point one? But um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably more on your dad's side here. I'm, I think I'd I'd rather just see a draw. Like 80 minutes is a, a heck of a lot of time to be out on the field, and if you can't be separated after 80 minutes, um, it's it's kind of a lot to ask to get out there for another 10, even if it is only another minute before a team drops a, a slots a drop goal. I think yeah, if, if you can't do that inside the allotted 80 minutes, um, I think you know, sharing the points is a pretty fair result. And to have to have that result taken away from you, I suppose, uh, you know, after a little golden point period is, is pretty harsh on whatever team goes out on the losing end. So I'm not a fan myself. But that said, I, I won't be saying no to a golden point rugby if, if the uh, time does come around. Yeah, it, it is a weird one because on one hand, you know, like, I guess I've been a, in a position where, you know, I've conceded a try late and then had to go out with a draw and then I've gone into a game where I've scored a try late and, you know, we've drawn the game up. So it, it will be weird seeing, like, um, how this sort of finish goes because you'd hate to see it sort of similar to that uh, that Broncos-Cowboys NRL grand final where the game goes to extra yeah. time and the guy drops it off the kickoff when essentially, you know, the Broncos were in the driving seat the whole game. And, you know, yeah. the Cowboys score, I mean, JT missed the kick, but they, they tied up the game. Like, the Broncos should have really won that game, but because of, like, how, the, I guess, the rulings were at the Golden Point, it, I guess I, I understand in terms of, like, where my old man and probably where you were coming from, it's not exactly a fair result because, you know, something like a mistake There's just like so much just so much variance, it. right? Like, it's yeah. at the end of the day, it really does come down to luck. Like, there's, there is skill involved, of course, but you know you play that golden point hundred times, you know the, the variance would be massive. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the reason why I don't like it. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see how teams go about it if if we do get to see a golden point stage where they you know just hoard the ball and try and keep it in for as long as possible and grind down the field, or if they play the territory game or milk penalties or you know, that. I think that's kind of what I'll be most uh, excited to see. Mm, mm, totally, my man. Uh, we'll, we'll crack into the first game, though, which is the Highlanders taking on the Chiefs at 7 o'clock at Forsyth on Saturday. Uh, and we'll start with the home team. Uh, and I've got I've got a couple of topics to talk about, bro. Uh, the first uh, being Nehe's switch to the Highlanders. 
Now, he's been pretty injury-plagued uh, since 2016, the year after the All Blacks won the World Cup. Yeah. yeah yep. he's, had, he's had trouble with his shoulders. I mean, I'm, I guess I still am a fan, even though I haven't seen him play in a while. But, I, you know, I was a massive fan of him when, you know, he sort of came out of the woodwork in 2015 and, and lit up Super Rugby and did his thing for the All Blacks during the... I think it was, yeah, during the championship. The World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, then in the, the build-up of the World Cup. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, he's just... It sort of was sort of like a meteoric rise. It went straight up in 2015, then it sort of come yeah. crumbling down as of late. Uh, and fingers crossed to him. Like I, I, I truly hope that he can sort of keep his body together and uh, resurrect his career. But yeah, um, I'm, I am sort of interested interested into how he will go. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I love him. He's just such a such an exciting player to watch. Such a, a, a humble guy as well. He's um, you know so switched on and, and just seems like an absolute legend. So I really hope he does well. Um, the Highlanders, I suppose they've got a bit of a void in their back three. Uh, it doesn't help that Vulamoni Kuroi has also come into the squad. Obviously with the sevens no longer operating. Um, that's another outside back that we'll have to contend with. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite interested to see you know, how many how many minutes he plays. I, I wouldn't imagine he'll start to begin the season. Like Kuroi and Nareki, I think, are, are two pretty clear-cut options there. Michael Collins, I don't know if he'll stay. Josh McKay, those are probably the two options to to get the flick, I guess. So, assuming they they have Nehe down as a wing, then I suppose they could chuck Nehe on the wing and, and Kuroi at fullback, something like that. Um, yeah, I just basically want to see him out on the field. It'd just be um, too great to see those those fast feet going. What about you? How do you reckon they'll? Um, how do you reckon Aaron Major will slot him in there? Yeah, I think they will probably put him on the wing uh, just to ease him back into it. I think it might be a big ask to throw him at the back because the fullbacks do so much nowadays. Whether you know they they jump in as a first receiver, they yep. cover a, um, a lot more ground. And I mean like. I'm not sure what his training's been like. He's probably been training the house down, but you know nothing really replicates what's done in the game. And I think that by mm. sort of easing him in, whether that be on the bench or chucking him straight out on the wing, it'll sort of give him a bit of time to find his feet. And you know, hopefully he gets through whatever minutes he gets unscathed. But yeah, like you said, um, he is he is really just a sight to behold when he's on the field. Um, he is just one of those guys where he can sort of be a star, you know, like even though he is in the back three, he just, I don't know, he's, he's sort of just a marvel. And like, I think we sort of need more of those in New Zealand rugby. I mean, although I love guys like um, George Bridge and Seba Reese, I don't think any of them or any of the outside backs have really lived up to, I guess, what Nihi did in that one year. Maybe yeah. Rico Iwani, but but yeah, if he, if he can find his feet um, along with all, you know, guys like Dan Carter coming back, you know, it, it'll just boost the competition. Oh yeah, that that'll just be massive. Like if we if we see him even at I don't know eighty eighty five percent, he's still going to be you know one of New Zealand's top wingers and just like so exciting. So his I, I the Mark Talia kind of would come close in terms of footwork. Like he's been really good. His his footwork's just been great this year. But yeah, Nehemiah Muscato, he's he's just got that I don't know like that swagger about him. I guess that. You can't really take your eyes off him when he does get the ball, even even near the ball. You're just kind of hoping that he's going to come in for one of those runs and do his do his thing and work his magic. So, yeah, I'm I'm bloody pumped to see him back out there. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that Aaron Major uh, has talked about, or I guess announced um, in the lead up to the first round, is 
Josh Iwani no longer playing second five. Uh, they're moving him back to 10. Now, I'm not sure. I'm assuming that he's going to be the starting 10 and that Mitch Hunt maybe drops to the bench. I guess we'll see over the course of Thursday and Friday when they announce their teams as to you know who's coming out in what position. But I know that we mentioned it in our first podcast that uh, we were somewhat sort of up in the air with you know Iwani switch considering that he had no real experience in the 12 jersey at sort of the first class level. And it showed. I mean, as much as I am a fan of a ball playing 12, and the Highlanders did have a game plan to play the game at width. And by having Iwani there, he was really able to stretch the attack. Um, but there were a whole lot of other factors that sort of went into them not really getting the front foot ball, sort of catch teams out, out wide. They weren't really sort of winning the game up front and earning the right to go wide. But then even as well as that, I mean, defending in the midfield is something that, again, like it showed. And the Highlanders, I mean, like their, yep. their tackling was pretty woeful, um, full stop. But, you know, especially in that midfield, and it looked like Josh sort of got caught out of position quite a few times. And, I mean, yeah, that, that, sure. and that's the thing. Like, I mean, he, he is a young guy, and you're throwing him out there to sort of learn on the go. And I guess Super Rugby, you know, you don't really get the opportunity to sort of, I guess, ease guys into it. And, yeah, I'm, I mean, like, I, I personally didn't really agree with the move, and I wasn't sure how he felt himself I mean he's obviously he's going to toe the party line and mm. do whatever was asked of him by the coach and do whatever was best for the team but I guess even like looking sort of further on in terms of his his all black aspirations and continuing um, his career at the, at the test level I never really saw him as a second five yeah I'm, I'm pretty stoked that uh, Aaron Majors come out and, and basically said that it'll be him or Mitch Hunt in the 10 jersey I mean you'd, you'd be very bold to predict Mitch Hunt will start over Josh Ioane in the at first five, so I think you can pretty much lock Ioane in at 10 for you know at least the first few games, see how he goes, but I don't see any reason as to why he'll he'll struggle back at the, the 10 jumper. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're going to be pretty healthy, at least to start off with outside of him. Like, I don't know if they they go Tay Walden and, and Rob Thompson again in, in the midfield, or if they throw Nani Punavani in there, or... Uh, not sure what Thomas Umunga Jensen's health's like at the moment, but you know he's just another strong midfield option. But yeah, I think that's definitely the way for them to go. Just have have that kind of traditional, I suppose, ball runner at second five, and let them, I suppose, get yeah, just get a bit of momentum first because they they really were struggling there um, in the Super Rugby season earlier in the year. So I think that's um, that's something to be encouraged by for the Highlanders. You know, it's, it's going to be a, a pretty different looking backline in Super Rugby Aotearoa. So hopefully that can change their fate a bit because they really struggled. Yeah, I mean they they really lacked that sort of direction up front. And sort of I'll use this to move into the last t- t- talking point <laughs> with the, with the Highlanders, uh, and that is their forwards. And as much as I was a critic of what was happening in the back line. Um, it's fair to say that their forwards weren't really delivering the sort of ball that I guess Aaron Smith would like. And then that sort of flows onto the back line. And I'm not sure who they've got coming back. Or, you know, I know that James Lynch is out, their captain, after his horrible leg break. Uh, but yeah, I think they've got, I think Josh Dixon was out for a while, their lock, who was yeah. their, their premier line out jumper. And. Yeah, I'm. I'm still sort of. I I came out and said in one of my social media posts that the Highlanders wouldn't win a game this year, and that was just off the fact that I don't think their forwards can compete with any other forward pack in New Zealand because 
I mean, I, I do like guys like Shannon Frizzell and Marini Makalitu look pretty good. And, you know, you get guys like uh, Ash Dixon and Liam Coltman. I mean, you know, they're, I mean, Liam Coltman's an all-black and Ash Dixon is a Māori all-black, but, you know, they those sorts of guys can't do it alone. And if I'm being perfectly honest, guys like Shannon Frizzell aren't known for sort of getting stuck into the, the nigglier parts of the game, which is where yeah. the, the Highlanders really struggled. I mean, I like guys like Jesse Parati. Uh, we mentioned him in the previous podcast as well. You know, he's a guy that gets mm-hmm. really stuck in, but he is slightly undersized yeah. um, in that loose forward position. So, yeah, as, as much as sort of, uh, I guess, playing New Zealand teams week in, week out, and, you know, fatigue's going to be a factor, and, you know, the Highlanders might be able to pounce on certain teams depending on, you know, who they've played previously, you know, because they pay such an expansive game, they might be able to catch teams napping. But yeah, I'm I'm not all that confident in their forward pack being able to give their backs the ball that they need to do the damage out wide. Yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. Like they they just don't have that out and out quality in the pack anywhere really. Front row, locks, back row, just just not quite there. Like by all means that that decent like you know wider super rugby they'd have a you know they've, they've got an okay forward pack but you know the likes as, as you mentioned like Frizzell is just you know, a great ball runner but that's kind of his limitation Jesse Parete really you know gets in the nitty-gritty but has has the odd brain explosion and emits a lot of penalties um Dylan Hunt I just don't think he's been anywhere near as how good he was a, a few years ago um, and, you know, front row, like Aidan Johnson, Siati Tokalahi, Daniel Leonard-Brown, like they're, yeah, they're just not not on that top echelon that, that they need to be to compete with the other New Zealand Super Rugby team. So I don't see any reason why it's going to change from what we saw earlier on in the year for this four-pack. They're just going to just struggle. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Yeah, yeah totally agree, my man. Um, as for their opponents, though, the Chiefs, uh, I guess the first talking point that I want to bring up is Sam Kane and his announcement as the captain of the All Blacks. Uh, and now he is out this weekend, and so I'm not sure when he'll be featuring, whether the, the injury is... Because the injury is yeah. to his back or his neck, but it's not related to the injury um, yeah, I think that happened back, over in South Africa. Back tightness was what they cited, but yeah, who knows? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah It's I mean, one they, of those things that could linger around for ages. Yeah, exactly, and they, they like to keep um, a pretty hush-hush inside their yeah. camps or, you know, to, to those outside of their camps, sorry. But I guess my sort of leading question for the Chiefs is how much pressure is Sam Kane under to sort of perform now considering, you know, his announcement as the All Blacks captain? Yeah, yeah, see, I'm... The, the injury kind of made me question a little bit, like, are they just going to wrap him in cotton wool because he's the, you know, he's now the All Black captain, so that essentially guarantees his selection... Are they just going to wrap him in cotton wool over the Super Rugby period and just let him play, I don't know, five games, but reduce the, the risk of him getting injured? Or, you know, is this a legitimate injury? I don't know. But I think I think we'll definitely see like a reduced workload from him purely from that. They're not, they're not going to want to smash him out for 80 minutes every game because he's coming back from that injury. And then, you know, add to the fact that he's now the all-back captain whatever that like mental toll that takes on him, anything along those lines, it, it all probably just adds up to, to him seeing seeing him take a little bit of a backseat. But you know, the, the Chiefs are, are capable of 
filling his shoes. Maybe not to the full extent, but like you know, they've got Mitch Carpet sitting on the bench, who's a, a pretty bloody handy open side. I guess for me, like I guess in in the scheme of the All Blacks, considering how well Artie was playing last year and the fact that they actually had to move Sam Kane to the bench. In mm. that in that World Cup semi final, uh, and, and I understand that he's been groomed for a number of years. He was incorporated into the the All Blacks leadership group. I think like twenty three, which is pretty outrageous. I mean, I'm twenty three yeah. now. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> imagine like sitting down with like Richie McCaw and stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. and talking about That's ways, um, you know, to be you know sort of a head honcho within the All Blacks. Uh, and I mean, I have no idea as to the work Sam does behind the scenes and. I'm not taking anything away from his um, his legitimacy as a captain, but I guess for me, I am such a big fan of Artie, and to me, he's the probably the most talented loose forward we've had since the likes of someone like Zinzan Brook. And they both play the same position for their super clubs. Hmm. And so what does that mean going forward? And like you said, the fact that they they may wrap him in cotton wool because you know, he is the All Blacks captain and they don't want to, you know, I guess put him through the ringer before the before the test um, season, yep. or hopefully if there is a test season. But yeah, I, I I just personally think that he, for me, not that you know he plays rugby you know to please Jordan King, but you know I almost feel like he has to come out <laughs> and sort of show you know why he's the All Black captain because like I mean Artie was the best player last year and we haven't seen him this year, but I'm almost certain you know I'd, I'd put house money on it that you know he's going to hit the ground running. Yeah, and you know, like, but with that All Blacks captaincy, does Artie have to fit in at eight or six because you know Sam's the captain and his preferred position is seven? So that those are just my thoughts, and yeah, I I personally think that he has to come out and show, you know, yep, I'm the man, you know, I'm the guy that's going to be leading the All Blacks, and this is why I get first dibs on that seven jersey. Yeah, no, that's that's a real interesting point. I didn't really think about it like that, but. Yeah, I think it makes complete sense, really, doesn't it? Like, you know, he's he's coming. Um, I suppose I, I wouldn't say surprisingly being All Blacks captain, but um, you know, Sam Whitelock had captained them before, so maybe he was probably a more obvious choice. But yeah, he's um, I, he's definitely got some some critics out there, Sam Kane. So yeah, I think it, it does make sense for him to come out and, and have a few proving points across the season, but. Yeah, it's just the the approach that they want to take. Who knows? I'm I'm pretty interested to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and then rolling on to that, into the backs, uh, Aaron Cruden was arguably the best player. I mean, Lachlan Boshier was you know was a revelation uh, for the Chiefs yeah. this year, but Aaron Cruden was also a big cog uh, in a lot of the big wins that the Chiefs had, especially that first game when he came on and pretty much shifted the momentum back into the Chiefs' favour uh, when they mm. played the Blues at Eden Park in round one, and yeah. I mean, again, not to bring up all of my social media posts, but I, I came out and said that I think that it doesn't matter if Aaron Cruden goes on to be the MVP of the competition. I don't think that he'll get selected in the All Blacks, barring injury, just because I think that we have so much young talent uh, with mm. Barrett, Mwanga and Iwani that it would sort of be detrimental to sort of have him in there for a year because he's going to be going back to Japan next year. Uh, with all Well, that's all sort of under the premise that this COVID-19 thing doesn't hold down international travel restrictions for too much longer or sort of seeping into next year. But, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can keep that level of play because he was playing so well 
into this Super Rugby Aotearoa and be able to perform week in, week out. Yeah, he was like, him and Brad Weber were just enabling so much good attack from that Chiefs back line. Aaron Cruden's offloads were just unreal. He was just getting all off at will almost. Like he, he was just so good. His kicking as well. Like you know, he was he was bang on. He was kind of doing everything that the Chiefs could have hoped that he was going to bring. So I don't, I don't have any reason to doubt that he's going to continue to do that. To be honest, I think he showed that he's still one of the best first fives in the world. And if if he's you know, anywhere close to how how good he was playing earlier in the year, then I think the Chiefs will continue to be uh, really competitive and. I think they'll uh, run up a pretty decent score over the highs on Saturday. Yeah. You bring up his offloading, bro, like, and he's not a big guy. And I'm not going to lie, man. I think after that first week, I went into rugby training the next week trying to pull off like that that offload where he sort of <laughs> split two guys and pulled it around the corner. Yeah, yeah. And I just crazy, got yeah. sandwiched, bro. And, like, I'm playing, like, club rugby athletes and he's playing, like, the best of the best New Zealand ones. And this man. is, like, I don't get... I, he is. He's just so, like, he's just so calm. You know, he just doesn't, yeah. he, I guess that's the way that I'd sum him up. He's just calm. He never looks rattled. Um, you know, he he never seems to take the wrong option. I mean, he's not the, he's not the, again, he's not the biggest bloke. He's not the fastest bloke. But he always seems to be sort of two steps ahead. And I think yeah. that's what the the Chiefs um, have needed, you know, when he's sort of been injected into games or, you know, when he's played sort of extended minutes. You know, he's just sort of been that, that, that sort of general for them, sort of just directing them around the park. And while... Well, you know, if you looked at his game sort of in a nutshell, it doesn't look all that spectacular. But again, he can sort of pull out, you know, those sort of Sunny Bullies offloads. And you're thinking, like, how the hell does a guy who's like five foot nine, like, go out and do that sort of stuff? <laughs> like, going around like, you know, Patrick Tuipolotu or, you know, all those other big dogs. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he really, he, yeah, he, he's he's wonderful to watch. Yeah. And like, just the, the dynamic between him and Damien McKenzie, who's obviously very capable of coming in at first receiver. Whenever the Chiefs need him to as well, or you know, splitting the duties throughout the game, like that's those are two quite different style first receivers that they can just switch in and out of and um, utilize. So, and it's just a, a huge advantage for them. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah, that was a really good point. Uh, and then my last point to wrap up the talk about the Chiefs is that they did have a habit of starting games slow and then sort of finishing strong. I think I, I read one article where they. I think they almost like doubled their points scored in the second half than what they'd um, yeah. in the first half. Yeah. Now I'm I'm not sure about you, but I'm don't think that they're going to be able to get away with that in this again Super Rugby Aotearoa with with playing you know New Zealand teams every single week. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be it's you know it's just a, a harder schedule all around, and yet these these New Zealand derbies are always just so tight. So if they're letting team get you know, ten point lead at halftime or whatever that might be, like it's just a, a massive hole for them to dig themselves out of in the second half. So um, yeah, no, they they simply can't afford to do that. I think we've we've seen enough on them to know that they're enough to you know, be competitive with the best of the best, being the Crusaders. Um, but yeah, they they can't go about doing that kind of stuff in, in Super Rugby Aotearoa, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that they'll have that sorted out. Yeah, yeah, me too, man, me too. But I will get to our verdict, though. Uh, who have you got winning, and by what margin, 12 and under, 13 plus? Yeah, I think, I think the Chiefs are uh, pretty clearly the best team in this matchup here. 13 plus is going to be my tip. I think they're just they're coming out and 
blitz them effectively. Like they've just got so much more class and and depth across the park, pretty much. I think the Chiefs' locks are pretty much the only question of their entire squad. Apart from that, like they're just so good. I just I really can't see how the Highlanders are going to get that close to them. What about you? No, I totally agree, my man. I've actually got the Chiefs notching a bonus point by half time. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really just going to be all one-way traffic. Um, I think Warren Gatlin, you know, we saw the work that he did pre-lockdown um, in terms mm. of, you know, building sort of a sturdiness into their game. Although, again, they did start slow, but, you know, I guess like like most things in life, bro, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think that uh, they're going to they're gonna hit the ground running um, on yeah. Saturday and... Um, put the Highlands through their paces. I don't think they're going to be many happy fans at the zoo. Um, <laughs> I don't think uh, the fans in the zoo will, will care too much about the result, but <laughs> the rest of the people in the stands, yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll be t- seeing too many smiles. I, I mean, I suppose if, if they get a good turnout, you know, it might give the, the Highlanders a, a couple points advantage, but, you know, still, I don't think it's going to be close at all. No, not at all. Uh, we'll, we'll kick on to the second game, uh, which is an early kickoff. I think it's like a three o five kickoff on the Sunday at, at Eden Park. Uh, and I guess the the big thing for the Blues, and I guess this whole COVID thing was um, it wasn't all that great for them because they were really sort of hitting their stride mm. coming back from South Africa. Uh, you know, they they beat the undefeated Stormers over there. The, they got a last minute win against the Bulls, and they come back home. They beat the Hurricanes. In Wellington, and then they beat the Lions uh, the weekend before that we, the weekend before we go into lockdown. Yeah. And so, for you, do you think that they are going to be the same team that finished the regular Super Rugby competition going into Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, the, the four wins on the trot to finish Super Rugby was was pretty impressive. I mean, the Lions are terrible, but. To have beaten the Hurricanes in Wellington, you know, as, even as we mentioned before, like the Tyrol Lomax red card, that still doesn't matter. Like the Blues of the past probably still would have lost that game. Beating the Stormers in Cape Town is also huge. So like that, they will be confident now. And then add to that that I've got Bowden Barrett coming back into or starting his Blues career, and then Dan Cars around, you know, probably giving everyone uh, confidence that. That they never had discovered before. Like there's just there's so many things going their way. Um, they should be primed and good to go. But yeah, I I still don't quite think that they're, you know Chiefs Crusaders level. Yeah, yeah, me either. Uh, on Bowden Barrett though, how does he fit in? Do you think he fits in seamlessly? Like I, again, referring to a social media post. Again, I'm I'm actually going to use this as a plug right now because I've mentioned it so many times. If you are new to the podcast or you have no idea who I am and have just sort of dropped in or you just listen to my podcast, I do do a bit of social media stuff uh, at Code with Kingy on both Instagram and Facebook. So go and check that out so you don't have to sort of be like, you know, what's this guy going on about? But um, I sort of look at him going going into this competition at 15. I think that Autity Black earned the right to start Super Rugby Aotearoa in the 10 jersey because I do think, and I, and I mean this sincerely, that he was one of the big reasons uh, and the Chiefs sort of having a bit of direction in those latter rounds. Mm. Um, and I'm going to mention, oh, I guess I didn't really answer that first question. I do think the, the Blues will, will come into this game and 
be going full steam ahead. You mentioned having DC and Bowden Barrett come in there, and you know Bowden comes in and runs like a, a ridiculous Bronco. And I I, I do think yeah. there's been a, a big culture shift, and I think that uh, especially playing at home in front of a packed house, I think we'll we might even see the best of the Blues come this Sunday. But um, on the Barrett thing though, uh, I was yeah, like I said, I, I do think that. Stick Autity Black there for now, um, and I mm-hmm. guess we'll see uh, how he stacks up against the Hurricanes. But yeah, I, I, I do think that you know if you just sort of throw Bowden Barrett into 10 and get him sort of trying to run the show, having not played with those boys before, um, that might be you know maybe the wrong way to go. Whereas I think if you chuck him at 15, you give him the opportunity to roam, he can still come in at first receiver, and that yep. way he can sort of build some sort of experience and cohesion um, with his two new teammates. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that would be the the most effective way to slot him in there. Altidy Black was was really solid last uh, last season. I don't even know what how do I describe that, but yeah, last season I suppose twenty twenty, and like I think they had Stephen Pitofita starting at fullback for most of their games earlier in the year. So um, obviously he's he's injured at the moment, so that leaves a gaping hole, and, and Barrett's probably the perfect guy to slot in there. Um, it just yeah gives them that that bit of stability still having Autity Black at first five while also as you said just giving Barrett the option to you know cut in at I don't know forty percent of the plays at first five or, or you know however however often he wants to really like that's that's kind of the um, the beauty of the modern game having those two playmakers it's it's built perfectly for for Barrett to come in from first uh, from from fullback I think so. Um, whether Leon McDonald agrees with us or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But that's that's the way I'd like to see them stack up, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not delusional um, to the fact that you know Bowden Barrett will be the first five at some stage for the Blues. I just yeah. think sort of going in and given the fact that Autity Black was playing so well pre-lockdown, that I just think it is the best option. You know, sort of going into this, and like I said, you know, sure. having the ability to sort of work him in. Um, but on the, the Stephen Pirofeta, uh point, though, he is injured. He did something to his foot, and they called on, to me, the greatest player of all time, to, <laughs> to come in as cover for him. And, yeah, like, I mean, that was pretty bizarre, sort of seeing him in a Blues jersey on social media and yeah. having him front up. And, obviously, you know, he lives in Auckland now with his wife, and that's where his kids go to school, and so it worked out best for him. But, yeah, I'm... I'm unsure as to how much game time. Like, does he slot into the bench? You know, like, what do they do with Harry Plummer? You know, like, how much mm. game time is Carter going to get, if any? Oh, yeah, honestly, like, if if we're taking him at face value and not considering his legacy or his marketing appeal or you know the the desire for the crowd to want to see him, I think he would get zero game time. But he's Dan Carter, so. <laughs> Like crowds are going to want to see him. The Blues are going to want to use him for marketing, for you know, just general appeal, for talking points, media, etc. Like they'd probably be stupid to give him no game time, right? So um, I think we'll definitely see him come off the bench. I would be very surprised though if we saw him start any games this year, unless they had an injury crisis. Because um, you know, I think we've we've well and truly seen the best of him. Uh, five five years on from his last All Blacks game. Uh, You'd be a pretty bold man to suggest he'll be anywhere near his best uh, in 2020. That's funny though, eh? Because again, chatting about it with the boys last week, you know, like if the Blues go into the last round, 
and they need to win a game. I don't know who they're playing in the last round. You know, like, given, like, how much experience Dan Carter has and, you know, if, if all City Black is... I mean, even if he is playing well, there's just, I guess there's some something about Carter. You know, he's got that mystique where, you know, like, going mm. into a final that you'd almost want to play him there, even though he is almost 40. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I suppose, like, he'd just give that kind of comforting vibe, wouldn't it? Like, if, you, yeah. if you're on the Blues and you, you're running out with Dan Carter in this must-win game, like, yeah, I'd feel so comfortable. You'd almost feel, like, invincible. Like, oh, yeah, we've got Dan Carter. He'll just slot a few droppies and do a few uh, few line breaks and, and sort me out on the outside. Like, you know, you'd you'd feel so good. But, but then again, you know, that's that's the whole thing that I was just talking about before. Like, that's, that's the Dan Carter we think of, but that's probably not the Dan Carter that we're going to get, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't know what to expect, Dave, eh, because I never try and count out goats. Yeah. And, I mean, like, the guy looks in bloody good, Nick. Um, he does. He looks very good. <laughs> bro, he's 38, man. <laughs> he's always but... looking good, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I, I hope to see him. Like, I think, obviously, from a marketing perspective, um, this is just added to the competition and, you know, brought in a greater level of interest. But even just to, to see him back out there, as weird as it's going to be, and I'm not even a Crusaders fan, so I'm, I guess they'll, they'll probably, you know, be sick to their stomachs seeing, you know, yeah. their poster boy playing um, in, a, in a blue jersey. But, but yeah, um, I sort of, you know, and it, one of the other things, you know, not to sort of try and relate it to Michael Jordan, but, you know, I, I sort of want him to go out there and play well because I think the worst thing that could happen is that Carter goes out there you know, it has a few shockers and, you know, that's yeah. sort of the lasting impression that he leaves on New Zealand rugby fans. And although we are always going to appreciate, you know, what he did to the Lions and, you know, what he did at that World Cup, it is, you know, sort of a complicated thing because, you know, you know, we just don't know. Like you said, it's five years on from his last All Black game. Although he was carving up in Japan, I don't think that the top Japanese level can really compare to Super Rugby. <laughs> and I just don't want to see, you know, like my childhood hot idol sort of not, play at the level that you know i'd always seen him play at yeah yeah and I, I think you know, leon mcdonald and, and the coaching team will have a pretty good understanding of where he's at like and i would i would trust in them not to play him if they knew that he wasn't going to be up to scratch so um yeah i'm pretty confident that if we do see him that he'll still be a viable rugby player i suppose is the, is the best way to put it but um yeah no i'd, I'd be gutted as well if we just saw a a completely run-down version of him, like it would be, it'd just be depressing, really, wouldn't it? You know, you'd, you'd get your hopes up for the whole week, or you know, you get to see forty minutes of Dan Carter or whatever, and then he's just trash. Well, that that would be <laughs> be good for no one. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed it doesn't come to that. But no, yeah, in all honesty, I don't, I don't expect to see much at all from our man DC. Sadly, no, trash and Dan Carter don't go in the same sentence very well. <laughs> They just don't like Dan Carter. Like you can't follow Dan Carter, or you know, have a word become, become have a word go before Dan Carter. Like that has anything to do with any sort of negativity. Because I mean, like look, like can you like name a game where Dan Carter played bad off the top of your head? Because like I guess everyone's almost had a game, but like he is one of those guys where like he was just good all the time. Yeah, oh, it's just so consistent and just yeah, never even like below average he's just no. always always there so no, absolute freak um but enough of the blues uh on to our last team the hurricanes who are the opponents or the visitors going into eden park on sunday um they've got their own superman sort of coming back i mean we talked about bird and barrett but Artie severe is 
And he hasn't been confirmed because, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, so we have no idea what the team lineups are. But you could almost put him down as questionable. I know that there were reports that he played in the sort of in-house scrimmage uh, last mm-hmm. Friday, 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 <laughs> <laughs> at Rugby League Park. But, you know, what does his inclusion in the Hurricanes mean for their title aspirations? Yeah, he's huge. I think he's uh, as influential as any of the guys we've talked about so far. Like his, what he brings to the Hurricanes is just incredible. Like he's so good at the breakdown, so good with the ball, and he can um, he can win lineouts. He can, you know, he's a very effective tackler. Like he just does everything that they need. Their pack is not their strength, so to have Artie in there is just massive for them. Um, fingers crossed that he. He is close to healthy because you know, his I think it was a knee surgery, right? Like that's it seems like it's a pretty good thing to come back from. So, uh, fingers crossed, we do get to see him at at his full fitness. And if we do, then that's massive for the Canes, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you, we we mentioned before about Dan Carter, you know, sort of running out alongside him, and how that sort of just lifts the team. And I think he's become such um, again an influential figure within that Hurricanes camp and in the All Blacks camp that you know. I feel like, you know, he'll be the sort of guy, you know, you know, you get him in the shed, he'll be like, you know, less goal, boys, less goal. And that, you know, it, cause I, I've, I mean, I've heard him say enough times on the podcast, on his podcast, bro. I'm sorry for that sounding real cringe, but, you know, like having him in it, similar to someone like TJ, you know, like TJ comes across as the sort of guy where just, you know, having him beside you, you know, running out onto the field, again, there is just sort of that comfort that comes with having those guys there. Um, yeah. I mean, his play speaks for itself, but, you know, what, he can do at a psychological level for his teammates um, I, I think would even sort of blow out of the water um, what he does on the field so yeah um, I'm, I'm really excited to see him back um, hopefully it's this weekend because I think the Canes will need him considering Geordie Barrett uh, was announced um, that he will not be taking part because he's had some shoulder issues mm. um, I'm not sure too sure where that came from, whether it was a lingering injury going into lockdown, but um, hopefully, yeah, Geordie isn't out for too long because he is a key cog, but uh, one of the other sort of big question marks for the Hurricanes going into this weekend is who is running the cutter? Now, Jackson Garden Bishop and Fidget Smith sort of split the time. I know Jackson broke mm. his hand sort of midway through, I think it might have been like round three or four, and that sort of um, gave Fletcher Smith the opportunity to sort of, you know, take the reins and, you know, sort of not really have that pressure of having someone bite on his heels. Yep. But, again, like, as skillful as he is, you know, like, he's probably got one of the best catch passes in the country um, and he's ambidextrous um, being able to kick off both legs. But for me, he just really hasn't sort of shown the confidence that he sort of exerts at the Mitre 10 Cup level, at the Super Rugby level. Um, mm. And while he might be a little bit more talented and skillful than Jackson, I just think that Jackson sort of has um, maybe a better temperament for playing at uh, the Super Rugby level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I guess for you, who would you like to see uh, in the 10 jersey for the Hurricanes this weekend? Yeah, on, like, honestly, I don't think there's a, a huge difference between the two of them. Um, they're both sitting on a pretty even playing field in my eyes. But uh, I think, yeah, I think... Jackson Garner Bishop's just a little bit more kind of steady. He doesn't doesn't try and take on the line as often, which maybe yeah. I suppose against some teams that's a good thing, some teams that's a bad thing. But when you've got such a good back line outside you, I think it, like having having a distributor 
like Garden Bishop is is just more effective. He he just seems to open them up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, I'm in agreement with you. I think I would give Jackson the nod, even though he is coming off an injury. But yeah, like you said, I think for now the the Hurricanes don't you know need anything spectacular at that yep. at that ten jersey. Um, and I think that again. While I personally think, and this is no sort of slight on Jackson, that Fletcher Smith probably has better skills. I just think yep. that Jackson probably knows his role a little bit more, and he doesn't really try to force his hand. And I think that's yep. you know with the likes of having like Nani Lamapi, um, and you know guys like Jordy Barrett, TJ Perinara, and all those sorts of players around him, that you know he just sort of fits in and sort of just you know he distributes and you know he kicks when he needs to. So. Yeah, like yeah, for me personally, I would I would go with him. You know, like you know, if he does the job or not. Um, obviously that will all sort of be unveiled um on Sunday. But like yeah, I guess for me having watched both of them in Super Rugby uh, pre quarantine, I just think that sort of Jackson sort of fitted in to that team and and their cohesion and you know sort of being able to put the ball in and playmakers' hands and sort of just slotting in where he needed to be. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. And. My last point for the Hurricanes is their um, their outside back talent. Now, again, Jordy Barrett is out, but when you sort of look at the Hurricanes on paper, um, they just had Slesi Rayasi come back in, um, similar to Villamoni Kuroi down at the Hollanders and Caleb mm-hmm. Clark at the Blues. Um, all of those guys who were originally contact, contracted with Super Rugby teams have been let go by the Sevens because obviously there's no more Sevens circuit. And so you've got Slesi there, you've got Wes Hoosen, uh, you've got Ben Lamb, you've got Cobus Van Vake, you've got Vince Arsor. I mean, Vince might be playing in the midfield, but you know they've got this sort of surplus outside back talent, and it'll be interesting to see which way Jason Holland goes um, in terms of how, I guess you know, or what sort of game style he's looking to play because you know Wes almost seems like he had that that right wing position locked down. I think that Ben Lamb and Jordy Barrett are almost certainties. Yeah. Um, and I forgot to mention Chase Tiert here as well. Um, he's another one. Yeah, I was about to, of... about to say that. I think yeah. you've got another stream old <laughs> no, boy. No, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, an oversight on my part, but I, I did manage to get Chase in there. Um, and he can play anywhere from sort of 12 out. So how you sort of fit all these guys in. And, you know, like if one guy has a bad game, like do you drop him and throw one guy straight in there? Because, you know, like guys are really sort of nipping at their heels. Um, I guess for me, like um, in a perfect not a perfect world, that's probably the wrong thing to say, but I guess for me, the ideal Hurricanes backline, if everyone is injury-free, I'd probably have Ben Lamb on the left, Geordie at the back, and considering how well he was playing um, pre-lockdown, I'd probably have Cobus on the right wing. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd go Ben Lamb on the left, Geordie at the back, and then Wes Wilson on the right. I think, um, yeah, I think like Cobus was, was fine when he was playing, but I think that... Um, his his first start, I think it was, was against the Sunwolves, if I'm not mistaken, and he got got a hat-trick or something, and then he just kind of clung on to his spot from there, but I don't think it was anything amazing. I think I think Wes, Wes is just uh, yeah, a really solid player, really good defender, finishes his opportunities well. Like He's he's not an absolute game-breaker, but neither is Van Vake. So, yeah, Wes would be my pick there, but not a heck of a lot between them. But... Yeah, with in Geordie's absence this week, I'm I'm pretty interested to see how that back three stacks up. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw Chase get a start at full back. I think he's almost assured that spot. Like 
I can't because Jimmy Marshall's out. He's out injured. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't think any of those others or any of the other players, uh, you know, like Salisi, uh, like we said, Vince, Ben or, or, or Wes, although I think Ben and Wes have played, you know, 15 at, at the Mighty 10 Cup level. Yeah. Um, none of them have had that sort of experience at the Super level and we saw how well Chase played when he got his opportunity. And yeah, yeah, really good. Um, but, you know, but even then, you know, like if, if Chase is playing really well, um, then do you push him out to the wing when Geordie comes back? You know, like there's this real conundrum because... Yeah, they've sort of been, I guess, fortunate or had the luxury of having so much outside back talent as of late. But, you know, like it's about how do you work these guys in? And, you know, like are they going to rotate them considering, you know, how aggressive and how tough these, you know, derbies are going to be? Yeah, I, I'd hate to be in Jason Holland's position right now. It's a, it's, it's a good problem to have. But, you know, if you don't manage it the right way and, you know, like guys fall out of form and then you're sort of throwing a guy mm. in, you know, into the into the firing line, having only played club rugby and training, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think like you know, Fletcher Smith is maybe a chance at fullback, but yeah, I think you'd you're pretty bold to start him there over over Chase this weekend. And then, yeah, as, as you said, like Chase in the past has really taken his opportunities when he's played for the Hurricanes. Like he's been so good every chance that he has had, but still hasn't been able to crack a, a consistent spot. So uh, fingers crossed you know, this time around, he can uh, be as good as what he has been and and get a little bit of consistency in his in his time. But yeah, it's just such a stacked back line as, as the Hurricanes have had for the last, I don't know, four or five years now. So it's, it'd be a tough life being an outside back in the Canes, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of those guys would probably be able to go elsewhere in the country um and yeah much for up, sure pick up a starting spot but yeah um that wraps up all of my talking points bro um did you have anything else that you wanted to sort of throw into the mixer anything you know off the top of your head or anything like that um no i mean i think we've, we've done a pretty good rundown of, of what there is to be talked about really i think in the hurricanes a sneaky chance of an upset this weekend if, if we get severe back playing i shouldn't say we uh as, as as everyone listens to this podcast probably knows I am a Hurricanes fan, so hence the wee reference there. But uh, yeah, I think I think if the Canes get Sylvia back, that's a massive lift for them. Like the Blues were were good, but the Hurricanes are also I think flying under the radar a bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Canes sneak or win. Yeah, I was I had sort of tipped the Hurricanes to to pull off the upset, but I think uh, without having Geordie Barrett there. And having his, because I mean, he he was he was kicking his goals, yeah. Um, and that was a big reason as to why the Hurricanes were sort of sticking in, in tough matches and even blowing out um, big games like they saw uh, in, in in their Sharks clash. But yeah, I think that after um, the announcement that Geordie's out, I'm probably going to have to go back to the Blues um, yeah. because they, I think even I think even like sort of. Moving on from that, I think they probably took a lot of confidence out of beating the Hurricanes in Wellington, albeit um, at the hands of playing with an extra man um, after half time. But I think, yeah, like it's funny, like what sort of like picking up a win, um, and it doesn't matter how you get the win because a win's a win. Like how much you know, again, confidence you can take out of that. And I think um, knowing that they are going to have someone like Chase, who you know, like we said, you know, he's taken his chances, but you know, he's sort of been 
he's going to be fresh sort of going into this round. I mean, all the players are going to be fresh, but, you know, like he didn't really have a lot of game time uh, pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good point. You know, like I think you know that might be sort of a, a targeted area for the Blues, and I mean, like even having someone like Bowden Barrett there and him sort of knowing, you know, where all the sort of little creases and, and creeks are mm-hmm. in, in the Hurricane setup. I think, that, yeah, with the absence of Geordie, who between him and a Safwan Moore were probably the, the Hurricanes' best players. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to have to go back to the Blues as um as bitter um as that tastes uh, coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, at, at home they they deserve to be favourites, but yeah, I don't know. I think the the Canes were better than what everyone was giving them credit for at the start of the year. So um, I think by no means are the Blues going to have a walk in the park. No, no. Well, well let's hope so. I mean, I, like you said, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a similar Hurricanes fan, and I I do think it will be a tight one. Um, it could go either way, but yeah. Just going to give the, the Blues the edge um, after today's news. But I have had you um, on for over an hour now, um, and I don't know about you, my mouth is getting pretty dry, but <laughs> thank you um, very much, Matthew, for, for joining me once again on Code with Kingy. I do really appreciate your time. You always, you know, we always have some great discussions about this, and, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed this chat, my bro, and, yeah, hopefully we get some really good action this weekend. Pleasure, mate. Bloody looking forward to it. It'll be so good. All right, mate. You take care. Sweet. Catch you, mate.